0: mm
1: Broccoli? Mm, I'm not going to eat broccoli, broccoli from that place. Oh. I don't trust their broccoli. You don't
2: trust their greenery?
1: No. <laughs> not from the shitty Chinese what, place. What's this place called? It's called New King Walk. Huh? No, New Kim, no, New Kim Tong.
2: New Kim, New Kim Tong?
1: Yeah, but it's. Uh, I'm like very friendly with the delivery guy now.
2: Okay, so this is a perfect segue into my question of the day for you. Uh huh. And this is how we start the episode. We already qu- started. Oh yeah. Okay. That's the thing is that we've you've been here this whole time, mm-hmm. Dory. You've been in my life for the past couple of years. Yeah. You've been Has doing been your thing. You know. You've been you've been here. Uh huh. So we've been doing the episode. Oh, okay. And what I want to do today is just capture a moment mm-hmm. that that we are sharing together, mm-hmm. among many other moments that we've already had. <laughs> you know. That's right. So That's right. question of the day today to kick off the formal episode is. Uh-huh. Um, if you had to pick a meal that you had to eat for the rest of your life and take all the science out of it Mm -hmm. and like take all of your emotion, like your mood swings day to day, like you want this meal every day, you're going to get all the nutrition you need from it. What meal do you pick?
1: Um, well it had to be, I would have to include rice. Okay. And, uh, and uh, well, it would probably have to be something Korean for sure. That's my comfort food. So like Korean barbecue, anything, anything like that. And like chicken, uh, beef, beef, or, yeah. Okay. Say, have you had Korean barbecue? I have. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I
2: went to a place where they did it in front of me.
1: Yeah, it was very. Yeah, fun. you mean where they cooked it in front of you? Yeah, they just cooked. But it's okay. it's
2: it's like different than cooking like a steak. You know, it's not as simple as that. It's kind of experiential
1: uh-huh yes it's for especially sure.
2: the way they set up the tables and like yes yeah and i'm not there. saying every time you have korean barbecue that that's the way that they do it but my experience there was really fun yeah and so
1: yeah it was it was nice no i enjoy how you, i mean i like when you can do it yourself too
2: yeah 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 um there's something really fun about those those like shogun places, those Japanese like, yeah, you like steak houses where they do it in front of you with that huge like yeah. oven top. Yeah. If I had to pick a meal to eat every day for the rest of my life, it would be, um, sesame chicken. For real? Yeah. Yep. Every single time. I like that. Yeah. I teach after school arts Uh huh. and a lot of the times we start class with question of the day. Uh huh. And whenever I say that to the kids, they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, What Sesame Chicken's amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. So welcome to Looking for Artists. This series is about exploring the artists that are among us in the city. The, the artists that have been here this whole time, they're doing their thing. And what I want to do is show the listeners, the people that may not know you, I want to show them Dory mm-hmm. and who he is, at least today. Uh-oh. In this moment, yeah, uh, flew free. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 thank God. Yeah, okay, so I may ask you some questions that you and I have already talked about, and I may already know the answers to, mm-hmm. but we're gonna explore everything about you. All stones will be uncovered. First stone is
1: where are you from? I'm from, I was born and raised in San Francisco, California. Um, And I lived there until I was 14, and I moved to L.A. for high school. And I've been here for 10 years, for college, and I've stayed in New York since then. Yeah. Okay. Do you miss any of your former homes? I miss Cali. I miss San Francisco. um, Not so much L.A., but uh, I just miss a lot of my friends there and just the atmosphere in Cali and how relaxed everybody is you know it's very different from New York where everybody's focused on their careers and and it's just uh, you know the pace of the city is uh, really fast but when you go back to Cali it's like slow motion yeah my friends are like hey you just want you want to just come over to my place and watch a movie and just chill and like that never happens in New York really
2: and you you would say that you like that living in that slower tempo
1: no not all the time but um but i miss the quality of friends like like that like you don't have that many people in new york who just want to just relax and just just chill
2: i think it's i can find quality friends here but it's the amount of quality time like my quality friends don't have the quality time to give me
1: yeah yeah i think that's the thing and uh You know, we're all friends with different artists, you know, my, some, a lot of my friends in Cali aren't artists, so they don't, so they just want to chill at night. You know, we're used to going out, gigging at night and staying busy, but for them, it's just like their night is just to chill and relax. Also
2: with artists, you kind of follow
1: your inspiration. You follow the
2: spark. And if it's not there, you can't, some people just can't fake it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why artists are kind of notorious for, like, being hard to book or hard to get in the room. Yeah. So thanks for being here.
1: No, thanks for letting me in your home. Yeah, man. It's a beautiful home.
2: Okay, so why did you move from San Francisco and then from L.A. to here?
1: Well, I came uh, for the Juilliard School um, when I was 18. And uh, I went there for six years. Um, And I just... I always wanted to come to Juilliard because I had a lot of friends on the East Coast and I had a lot of friends at Juilliard. And uh, I remember I visited Juilliard when I was 13 for the first time, and I was like, "Whoa, like this feels like home already." Like I really wow. want to come here. So once I got there, it was pretty cool, and I was I was really happy about it. And things changed after a couple of years. So you <laughs> but, visited
2: th- at 13. Yeah. But when did you, when was your interest in Juilliard a thing?
1: Um, it was kind of always there once I started playing violin, and uh, it was pretty much solidified when I met my future teacher, um, Itzhak Perlman, who's like one of the most famous violinists. Mm. And uh, I went to his music camp, and uh, so I always want I always want to study with him um, for college. And he taught he teaches at Juilliard, so it's the perfect spot. What, did, you, did
2: you do anything else other than violin that wasn't like school as a kid?
1: No. No, every, it, was always, it was always violin. I got, I got bad grades in school, so like violin was like for sure the only thing that I could do.
2: What is it about violinists that, I feel like I meet violinists that are just so obsessed with that instrument. Like I meet cellists that are obsessed, but there's something that's like every violinist, there's something about them. Well, it's,
1: it's like... a very, um, it's a very like prim, primo instrument. Like in the orchestra, the violinists are always playing the the big melodies and, you know, the the lead violinist is called the concert master of the orchestra. And uh, there are so many solo pieces for the violin. I mean, piano as well. Piano probably has more solo pieces, but with the string instruments, violin is like, always the leader of a group so we have to have that mentality of being really involved in our craft and Mm -hmm. and being kind of obsessed with it Mm -hmm. um and uh and you know it just takes so much work because they're probably more violinists than cellists or violists or bassists and um so the competition's stiffer
2: do you do you like being in positions of of leading or having people look up to your example or your structure your system?
1: Yeah, I do like that, um, and I'm just used to it because you know just been doing that for so long. Like playing in chamber groups mm-hmm. since I was young, the violinist always is is always the one initiating the start of the piece mm. or the start of a phrase. Or even the end of a phrase, so they so the other players will look at your bow and see if it's ending. If if my bow is ending, that means that they have to stop, start getting ready to end as well. And uh, and I do like that because um, I do like to have a lot of say in rehearsals and stuff like that. And so I like putting my input and. Yeah. And I like just kind of shaping the overall attitude of a rehearsal um yeah,
2: is that something that you also do in like social situations? Not or is really it specific to the music
1: arena. It's just specific to the music arena that's
2: that's very cool that's interesting, yeah, um would you say that your relationship to music is more technical or
1: like emotional it's uh it's a mix because I, w- I started as a very emotional player. Hmm. And then b- my teacher in high school was a very technical teacher. He was like one of the most well-known in the West Coast. And he he teaches uh, like a very meth- method-, method methodical hmm. way of teaching. And uh, so he kind of shifted my perspective on that. And which was kind of, it's a good and bad thing because it kind of lost, it kind of killed my emotional uh style of playing a little bit and i and i just uh permanently no 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 just a little bit but uh it took a little while to get that back Hmm. but um but uh, you know you have to have both you have to have the thinking part of your brain working as well as the emotional part as well you have to have both because you have to know how to play the violin yeah you can't just emotionally just play it
2: Right, and and to be to have a to develop a technical skill like the violin, it may be smart to rein it in for a little while so that you can build good foundation for the emotion to actually live on. Yeah, because if it's just emotion riding on the waves of the emotion itself, it's like there's no method to back that up. So it just kind of it can fall apart.
1: Yeah, and technically speaking, like with the emotional stuff, like I was playing with so much. i was playing with with so much tension and uh and i body? was my body was playing the music rather than my intellectual side or my thinking side so with the violin, it's awkward you know you're holding it with your left shoulder and i would i would stick up my left shoulder up really high and so that ruined my left side of my back it's like you, noticeably higher than the right side of my back and that's wow. all from just emotional like forcing the music out playing and uh so i had to calm that down and uh so i'm still trying to like learn how to balance all that um because you don't want to be a boring stiff technical player either right i mean that's not what i'm going for for sure right
2: yeah i mean there there's something about studying music for me that i could feel the emotion s- Not die, but it was like replaced with technical approach. Mm -hmm. And the more that I saw that happen or felt that change, I kind of like enjoyed singing less and less. Mm -hmm. So when I meet people that get kind of ignited by that, the technical approach and kind of breaking or not breaking you apart, but separating the emotion from the craft I am fascinated with people who have the discipline to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't that that it's not anything you have to separate either, you know. You can figure out a way to practice where you're doing both of them at the same time. But it has you, to be. how do
2: you, how did you do that? Can you help me with that?
1: Well, that's called intelligent practicing. Okay. And um and the most productive kind of way and it's hard to do and I don't do that all the time because it takes a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's just like you know, like if you can't play a, a fast passage or whatever, something, something difficult, you know, you're going to practice it slowly, right? So, but, and you're going to practice it with metronome. And you don't have to do it like a robot, slowly. And that's not going to help you very much either, musically. You can play it slowly, but really, really musically as well. And with, with a lot of thought. And so you can combine, and then, and then you can raise the speed up little by little and that's just an example but you know you're working on two things you know you're thinking about two things you're thinking about the technical side and how how the emotional side will help the technical side and vice versa right
2: so um last week we had dom on mm-hmm. and he talked about many aspects of his artistic endeavors one of the things that he brought up as a singer was he had just recently heard of this technique of like learning a piece from uh, measure by measure but from the end to the beginning so yeah. I'm learning it in reverse have you done anything
1: like that not quite like that but um you know there's so many different met- methods and i th- i think the one benefit of that his method of doms method was is that um people often neglect the end of a piece yeah. so we can play the beginning of a piece really well And we, and then, so, I mean, because that's the first thing we start with when we're learning a piece. Right. So then, for me, just personally, then I just want to play the beginning over and over again, because I sound really good on that. Yeah. Because it gets the
2: most time and attention.
1: Yeah. Well, at least from the start. Right. You know. Yeah. So. um, Interesting. So the ending isn't always as secure as the beginning, because you've spent so much, you spent like probably three quarters more time on the beginning than the end. Yeah. And, uh,
2: let's say I, I give you a piece that's brand new, uh, and it, it has music. Uh huh. So you, you're learning like part apart. What's your approach? You just go, you hit it, you set the tempo and you practice.
1: Yeah, just go. I just do it. Um, well, it depends on, uh, depends on how important the concert is, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just, I can learn things pretty fast. Yeah. Um, memorizing is a different thing. That would be a sure, totally different sure. story, but, um, that's a different job. Yeah.
2: Like that's a different gig.
1: Yeah. It's a solo gig probably. Mm. So I would have to spend a lot more time on that for, so, so if it's, if, it, if I, if it's, if it's something I have to memorize, then um, this is this is all ideally. I don't do this all the time. But you want to force yourself to play it through, the play through the whole thing, mm-hmm. like early on, even though it's gonna suck. But that allows you to get the overview of the whole piece. Mm. So you can see the whole thing and you can have a mental picture of the whole thing. So my former teacher right. from college, Catherine, one of my other teachers, Catherine Cho, she always talks about before you go into performance, take a, take a minute backstage and have a flashback of the whole piece. It doesn't even have to be a minute, for like five seconds. But you can, within that five seconds, you can have the whole picture of the piece. And you can have the whole outline of it. So when you go through the performance, you already know what part, I mean, you already know that feeling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... um yeah, seeing the whole piece and breaking it down, knowing all the different sections is super important because your brain le- likes to categorize things; it likes to separate things. Right. Cause, so then that it makes one big piece into like f- five smaller pieces, you know. And then
2: it's just a- about connecting them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah and then uh, and then you work on the transitions, and um, and then you you learn all the different characteristics and the different emotions in each section because they're not all the same. Yeah. And so you can make a storyline out of that. Or,
2: or sometimes do you try to um, piece together the storyline that the, the composer is trying to tell? Yeah, I mean. Like how much of it is you imposing or projecting a storyline or injecting your own, and how much of it is you trying to respect what the composer has laid out for you?
1: Um well it's uh whatever you get out of the composer's music so it's that's beautiful so you can um you you don't like impose your own story but you you make your own story according to what you think that this music is trying to say and there's, yeah. so there's no right or wrong but um yeah but you know it's cuz the it, guidelines are there yeah so as
2: long as you're playing within the guidelines you're fine.
1: Yeah, and um, that's where
2: individuality comes in.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's also part like a big thing that has to do with is whatever you're going through your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put that into the piece. Mm-hmm. Whatever struggles and troubles you have, and if it, yeah, if it's a very emotional piece, a tragic piece, or whatever, something like that, you can that can help you with making your own story for that.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah, something about the performative arts when when you have a script say mm-hmm. like as a musician you have the score mm-hmm. and as an actor i would have a script when you have you know the words laid out for you and you can paint stuff behind it yeah it kind of it can help you deal with things in your own life it can help you have a voice that you otherwise couldn't find you know yeah because you, you're given the confidence or you're given the different masks or flavors or tones or levels that you need yeah because the story has to be told yeah and what i what I like about what you said is like having that five second flash of the piece or having a five second flash of a scene and knowing where you're going yeah it really does inform how you need to start you know and where you need to be in the middle and then because mm-hmm. that's gonna influence where you get to at the end,
1: you know well because that's what I think that's what it really is is. To or music, it really is, because which is, um, you know, time doesn't really exist, right? So if you're listening to a performance of something, you're not going to think, you know, oh, wow, two minutes has passed. Oh, f- five minutes has passed. You know, you it's all just going to feel like one outer body experience, hopefully, you know. Like moments kind of floating like in a space. Dr- hopefully like a dream. Yeah. yeah. And so th- yeah, you can have that in a five-second flashback because that's what it actually... What If it, if it, I think if it all goes according to plan where you're not worried about the technical aspects, that's what, what it's going to feel like.
2: Okay. So, so from the outside eye, I would say that like when I look at you and I check in with you every Sunday, Mm -hmm. it seems like things are going according to plan. You know, you look like the man in charge and whether or not that's the case, I kind of want to ask you where you are now, as opposed to where you thought you would be when you first like came to Juilliard or after you graduated and started working in the professional world, like what has your, when you got your feet wet, how, how was the temperature?
1: Yeah. Um, well, firstly, I mean, that's, I guess that feels nice to that. You think I have all my oh one hundred things together, but, um, your phone's always charged. My <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's true. Um, <laughs> See? but no, no, I really don't have, I, I make it, I make it look, good but um um where am I sorry where am I at
2: yeah how like how are you doing you're are you are working right yeah yeah and I, I'm
1: working and it's uh it's not a work isn't a problem yeah luckily I feel very fortunate do you well, feel spread too thin um no 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 definitely not um but um I uh so I started working my second year of college. I, that's when I tried to start networking, and my goal at that point was to be um, a big. Uh, I wanted to be a respected freelancer in the city. So, at that point, you know, you have to take all the gigs because you don't know any really anybody in the city. Um, so you have to take the good gigs and you have to take the really, really bad gigs because you don't know they're going to be bad. You don't know who you're working with. Right. So so that was like, that was the thing for the next couple of years of weeding people out. All right, you know, I'm not going to ever work with this guy again. Like that was <laughs> insane. Like he didn't give us any breaks. Like he didn't even pay us that much. Like, and it was just a really badly run organization, you know. And, uh, and then by by a couple of years um I started meeting more people and uh and even within school like everyone knew me as someone who got a lot of gigs and so I was really happy about that
2: <laughs> um about the getting the gigs or the reputation of being the guy who gets the gigs both yeah. both because
1: yeah. I mean you, you you get more gigs by or having repels re- the other. Yeah, yeah, by having a good reputation of being someone who works yeah, a lot, because that means you know, people like you, people like your style of not only your style of playing, but also how that means you know, that means, oh, Dory's easy to work with if, if, a lot of people like to work with him, he must not be a, a diva or whatever. And so I pride myself on that, um, on being easy to work with, on being a good person. And, um, you know, I might not be the best player, but that also helps a lot. Hmm. Um, and uh, and then I got my per- first professional orchestra gig, where I was working with older folks um, when I was 21. I played with this group called the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. And uh, we went on tour to Europe and we went to like six cities in Europe. And then we also went to Japan and did like a 10-city tour. And that was really cool. And that also that opened up a lot of different doors for me in New York. That mm-hmm. opened up everything for me, at least right now. Um, And uh, that taught me a lot, for sure. Um, and uh, they haven't called me back since. But that was my first... That was my first professional gig, and um, I didn't know. And I played with them for a year. It was fine. It's not like they hate me or anything. But I just didn't know how to work in a professional setting. Right, right. Um, you know, I wanted to be well liked. I wanted to have be friend friendly, and I want I wanted to have, I want to be re- friends with everybody in the orchestra. But when you're, I didn't realize. It took me a long time to realize this. But when when you're young, if you're in that setting, all they all these older folks care about is, if he if the young player shows up and does his job and um, and uh, that's uh, I think that's very important for young musicians to understand is that it's not important to be well liked right they just want you to come in make you know, come in early and do your job and that's right. it um, they don't care how funny you are they don't care about all that any of, any of that stuff and uh,
2: I get that sense with profess- professional musicians, like specifically orchestra players, uh-huh. like they're so serious. And like, even if they're not serious people, they're serious about their craft. And like when they're in that space, it's kind of like time to work, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can have fun, but just like making sure that you know that that's not the most important thing you sh- That that has to happen yeah yeah you know so we're so classical musicians are always notorious for being super prepared and having a pencil in hand, and you yep. know you you have to you, you know those are very little things but very important things to show that you are serious about the job and that you're not taking it for granted and i I think I took it for granted for sure um, and uh so i don't I don't take any gigs for granted anymore for sure because. Wow. Because, um, well, any gigs that I like, but, well, you know, even the ones that I don't like because they made the effort to call me, you know, and they, they made yeah. the effort to, to, to have me and, and that, you know, I have the oppor- opportunity to make money by playing music, which is crazy. You know, like I have a lot of friends who are actors or dancers and doing multiple jobs, but luckily I don't have to do that because a lot of my gigs pay well enough where I don't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for sure.
2: There's a pay gap with, um, first of all, that's amazing. And this sounds like my, this thought sounds negative, but it's definitely not negative. It's just an interesting thought that I want to, I also want to raise a question to you, Uh but first that's incredible. I know a lot of my friends who are artists who are trying, who are having to piece things together as well. And it's not about their work ethic. It's not, it's, it's simply about the, the demand. Oh yeah. uh, You know, of what, of who's needed and how many, but for you to have that story, that's great. And, and I can feel that from Uh you. And so when I kind of joked about that earlier of seeing you fresh as ever, every Sunday, it's like that kind of does, um, light a fire under my butt and what it makes me want to stay fresh. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. And that's great. So second of all, I've found, um, through stories and my own personal experience that there is a, there's a different, like a pay difference between instrumentalists and vocalists. Huge.
1: Yeah. What is that about? Well, we just have, we just have a very uh, much higher standard of, uh, of pay and how how we should be treated um, is that something you've set? Um, no, no, but um, but I mean, Juilliard has helped a lot with that because they have this thing called hire Juilliard performers, where anybody anybody can call Juilliard and get and hire their musicians, and mm-hmm. so Juilliard has their fees set. So that's kind of the baseline that I go from if I ever do like a wedding gig or. Or if someone comes to me directly for a wedding gig or anything like that, which I don't like to do too often because um I don't like to ruin people's best big big days. Why would you ruin <laughs> it's a, it? It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of pressure to play at a wedding actually. Oh, I see. It's like Yeah. And so I don't like taking on that pressure. Also it's not enough pay, like so I mean it is good pay, but it's not enough where like I want that pressure.
2: For the stakes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh and also, you know, at that time during a wedding, like, they all, they're they all super stressful and they're very difficult to work with. So, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, so that's what I use as a guideline for any background music gigs or whatever. Right. And uh, if the person replies back to me like, oh, that fee is too high. I'm sorry. Like, I can't hire you. I'm just like, great. And I don't want to do it anyway.
2: Yeah, it's a nice filter.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and which is a shame because it's like these people they don't they're not we'll get back to the vocalists later but like it's a shame that these people they don't they're not musicians at all. So they don't understand the time and money that we put into it. Yeah. Like not I didn't put any money into it, but my my parents like they my mom likes to joke that she spent like a million dollars on me. I mean she moved to LA to with me to study with a violin teacher there. You know, it's big. My dad was home in San Francisco. It's a huge commitment. Um, You know, I've been playing since I was four, four, and I practiced like four or five hours every day for a long time. You know, so that has to be considered with the fee, you know.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah, and so
1: we're highly underpaid. Even if I get what I want, the money that I want, that I ask for, that's still like super underpaid.
2: You so you think even when your standards are met, mm-hmm. the standards that you, you put on paper, like your contracts. Oh yeah. You're you're still underpaid.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But um you but think singers com- are underpaid? Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I I'm friends with a lot of dancers and like it's insane how little they get paid. It's like Yeah, man. It's, it's it's insane.
2: What do you think that is?
1: I don't know, but music the instrumentalists we have a very, very strong union. Yeah. 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 So um, that sets the tone for the city. Yep. Or the country. So that helps a lot. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. I don't know. You know. I think. Um, and you know, as as a, as a as a whole group of singers or actors or whatever or you know dancers, everybody has to come together. Everybody from New York has to come together, which is impossible. But yeah, everybody has to set that rate, you know. Yeah. But that's never going to work because there's always going to be somebody who's going to take that gig They'll for like 40 it. bucks or whatever, you know.
2: Do it for the exposure. Or yeah, yeah. Do it for the Instagram follow. Exactly.
1: So and if you are
2: the person who puts your heels in the ground and you say no, you may find yourself being the only person saying no.
1: Yeah depending
2: yeah. on who you surround yourself with but you you may find that a lot less people are st- sticking up for themselves in that way.
1: Yeah, and uh you know, and so I I like to take gigs that pay decently. Yeah. Or well, but um I pick and choose. You know, it's New York, so there are a lot of great f- fun gigs that don't pay as much. Um and I ha- I have a couple of those gigs that I do. Um out of a, like a passion project, you know, or whatever, it's something that I that I love, and so there there are some things that I do like that. But you do any teaching? I do some teaching. Any passing of the knowledge? I was a teaching assistant at for one of my former teachers at Juilliard, and um, that was really fun for sure. Really? Yeah. You enjoyed it? Yeah, I loved it because huh. while well, teaching, you uh, you learn you learn why you're doing something and you understand finally why your teachers preach this or that. Hmm. And, uh, so I feel bad cause that I, I, after the lesson, I, I feel like I learned more than the student cause I'm just like, oh. and then you're getting paid. Yeah. And I'm getting paid <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man, I should, I should do what I preach. Like, yeah, that'll really make me a lot better. And no, but also it shapes everything in your head. Like, like, Oh, that's why I need to do that. And that's why I need to, Fix that, so it'll fix this other thing, and mm-hmm. you know you see all these reasonings for for other th- yeah for a lot of different things.
2: So let's say like social um, social aspects aside, your mm-hmm. journey as a musician, specifically with violin, because I don't know maybe you you're a producer or something. I haven't asked you. You're not. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so your relationship to music is violin. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in your journey as a violinist. What has been, so let me make a parallel, because I know you are interested in the fight world. Maybe you want to keep I that a secret. the but, fight world. Okay, good. Oh,
1: no, no, I don't I don't need that to be a secret. All right, it's just people are always, it's nice to see people's reactions when I tell people that. Yeah, yeah. They're always like, Dory, I thought you were such a nice guy. And I was like, it's like a look of concern. It's like, that has nothing to do with it. Then. Okay, uh,
2: so let's make this parallel. Okay. In martial arts... You know, you go through the process of belts and getting promoted to mm-hmm. either higher rankings within those belts or higher belts. Let's say right now, if you had to belt yourself, what belt are you? Oh my god! Well,
1: I'd be like, um, well, I, I mean, come on, I mean, like I've been playing for like twenty. 20- I'm saying 23 years. Oh, no, I'm going so I'm, I'm to say a black belt. Like you
2: put in the work. So it, yeah. you, you are the belt, what you are. So what? It, black belt. Yeah. Okay. But oh, you know,
1: belt. I'm probably like a couple, like one stripe. I okay. mean, one degree. That's, that's First great. Degree.
2: That's amazing. And that's great. But so now that we know that what belt or what like promotion or what moment in your journey was the most frustrating and what did that look like?
1: Oh, for sure, high school. No, 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 for sure, no. The beginning of college, beginning of college. That was the toughest, for sure. Your first year at Juilliard. First, um, the whole undergrad, the whole four years were t- were tough. Oh, yeah. What about it? Um, it's the same instrument. Well, you just—I was just um, again going back to what we first talked about—that technical and. Connect like separating the technical and emotional, that was really separated for me at that point. So, um, it was a very, it was like all my practicing was really, all my practicing sessions were really frustrating because, um, I was just trying to force something out. I don't know. I don't know what I could have done better, but, um, but I mean, I don't mind it because, um, because I needed that struggle to get to where I am. It's just frustrating because it's just frustrating because it would have been nice to sound really good in your undergrad years, because that I think that really helps your career if you sound really good in college, <laughs> especially at Juilliard, where they yeah. can kind of like sometimes prom- help you and promote you a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, but it took, but I don't mind it because I was my own path. And, uh, and at least I know what I need to know now, you know, at least I got it all. I mean, I, from so far. Yeah.
2: That that sounds like it's from a true black belt. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. That's a black belt answer. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just got to be in the struggle and it doesn't matter where you want to be or where you thought you'd be. Yeah. It's the fact that you have to be go through what you're going through right yeah. now.
1: And pro- I'm probably being too hard on myself, but uh that's just how I felt. Right. And I I still did well. People still, you know, respected me as a player at school and um hmm. it's still Juilliard. Yeah. Yes. But uh and yeah. So it's so I'm probably being too hard on myself, but um
2: well that's part of the reason that you you're in the position that you're in now. I guess. Which is not piecing together work. You're just black belting every day. Yeah. yeah that's no. dope. You're yeah. Just I feel slicing very, your way through life.
1: Yeah, I feel very fortunate uh, to have the work that I that I have. Yeah. And uh, turning down work. That's pretty cool. What's
2: been your rose and thorn, like your your best gig and your worst gig?
1: Well, New York is pretty funny with that. Um, I have a couple different stories. I mean, you know, like there are these random like background music gigs where you'll play at a high-profile event and uh, you'll see some celebrities and stuff like that. Um, um, well, the craziest one recently, that was last year, but I played for this PGA Tour event up on the Penthouse, or on the Observatory at the World Trade Center. And so we were just playing background music and we were just whatever and then they were having these speeches and then i was being a bum they had food so i went to the food table that's what i usually do at these gigs <laughs> they had pretty nice food so i was like mmm, they have a pigs in a blanket whatever whatever oh my. but uh <laughs> um full plate but then the host the host so. the host was like uh i hear the host he's like our next two guests need no introduction and I was like, who could these people just be? And I turned around. It was George W. Bush and Bill Clinton standing together. What? And I was like, wait, what? no one warned me that like 50 feet away from me, we're going to be two presidents. Whoa. Like that was nuts. Where,
2: did you kind of look around with new eyes and look for like security?
1: I couldn't see them, which is even That's more scary, freaky. Because yeah. you know they're there. You know they're all there. And you know, like I was thinking I about the do. I was thinking about it the other day, like, where is the worst place you could be with two presidents?
2: Fifty feet away?
1: No, no on top of the World Trade Center.
2: Oh, oh <laughs> my word. <laughs> yeah. Dude. I was about in, to say in New York beat City. away with a plate
1: full of pigs yeah, in a blanket. I, I was just thinking about that and I was like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, that's actually the worst place. That is the worst place to yeah. be. <laughs> or no, but it was cool. It was the fine. best place. Or the we best place. We don't have to yeah.
2: really get into that, but it might also be the best place.
1: Yeah. Um I mean these are all funny stories, but uh,
2: So that was the bet that that would be an example
1: of your rose? No, 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 no. That was not a rose. That's just a funny story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's another funny story I could tell you, but... Um, no, the the best gig ever was last September, for sure. Um, my former teacher, Itzhak Perlman, he brought six of his former students along with him to perform with the San Francisco Symphony. And uh, my mom, my parents used to take me there to see The Greatest Violinist when oh, I was little. Man. And, uh... And so I know that stage from the audience side wow. really well cuz that's where I first saw Prolman play. I saw like all these other great violinists play and I was like I was at that time I was a huge violin nerd like I had my walkman and I was like only listening to violinists. And um and then I got to stand on that stage for yeah Jeez. for their opening night gala and that was pretty I only played for like 3 minutes but even that that was perfect cuz like I've never played with a professional symphony like that before and uh that was pretty cool. That was that was that's wow, definitely man. a highlight in my life. Were your parents emotional? Yeah, I I think so. I'm
2: kind of getting emotional just listening to that. Man. Yeah,
1: and then my sister came. My sister lives in France, so she came over and my whole family wow. was there, my best friend was there, yeah. I brought him. My cousins family was there and uh it was a crazy evening cuz I was their opening night gala, so mm-hmm. they were, you know, that's a night where they make a lot of money. Like like twenty million dollars. I don't know, a lot of money. So they were like, like a lot of rich people there and ladies in fur coats and stuff like that. So that was uh, that was a really fun evening for sure.
2: Man, so do you remember what you played?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the Bach double violin concerto. But the six former students, we all split up the part. Hmm. Yeah. Wow
2: man yeah there i I can't think of any things that could top that gig
1: yeah, and it and that you know Perlman doesn't have many events like that, like huh. that that was the first of that that I've ever heard of, yeah, and for that to be in my hometown in San Francisco was pretty, and for him to pick me right, <laughs> like that was pretty crazy, Sheesh. And, uh, and then to like to
2: to have that happen so kind of early on relatively, right. Um, that oh, was no, last September. No, last September. Oh, I see. What you I see. Yeah. I thought you, because I heard Walkman, and I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Walkman. That's so many years ago. Yeah. But that was last September. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah, and I only played recent.
1: I only played three minutes, but I didn't know how much work you could oh put into God. three minutes. Like I practiced that for like ten hours, and like the two days before, I was like stressing out. I was like, I hate the violin, and like. Like it was crazy. Like, and then I saw the day before. I took the whole day off. And yeah. I was like, you know what? Like, I'm probably not gonna sound much better if I keep practicing, and I'm probably gonna get more frustrated. So, yeah. and I have already done the work. So whatever. Like, just gonna take the day off, and that helped a lot for sure. You think you overtrain? What? Do you think you overtrain? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a big problem, actually, in the, in the, classical music world, for sure. Yeah. In yeah. what way? Well, because we don't, you know, we, you don't, you can't, you can't open up your brain and see the progress, you uh-huh. know, like, you know, something like carpentry or whatever. You can see, all right, it's, I'm halfway there, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now I'm 90%. Okay, now I'm 95%. alright right, I'm 100%, you know, but you don't have that as a classical music player. You, um, you have only the trust of your brain wiring and, and, uh, Something that actually taught me a lot about muscle memory, which is like a super real thing. Like I feel like there are little brains inside of each of my fingers. Something that taught me that was when I tried learning guitar. Like I would my the left hand, I can remember that so easily. Like I can remember that super easily. I I, I can play not play a song for a year and I could just play. I, like the hard the hardest part for guitar for me is. Um, the strumming and the finger picking and whatever, because that's that's new for me, because I I use a bow. So interesting, yeah. But um, so that I was like, oh my goodness, like I don't really have to worry that much. Like my fingers, my left hand will just go. That's cool. Yeah. So overtraining is a huge thing. Um,
2: I'm kind of curious. Do you do you play pool? You shoot.
1: Pool? Um, a little bit. I'm Does a basketball any of that player. That
2: translate? Oh, you play basketball.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really helps with basketball for sure. With the,
2: what? Positioning, elbow, or what?
1: Well, my best thing is I'm a, I'm a shooter, so I'm a three-point shooter. Uh-huh. So, I just think like my muscles are f- more fine-tuned than other, than other people where I can Well, actually a lot of it comes from the legs, but but I think uh I'm speaking maybe speaking truth right now, dude. Maybe <laughs> maybe I like can remember feelings a little bit easier than other people. Yeah. Especially with the shooting arm. There may
2: be a little more nuance tucked away in there.
1: I guess. I don't really think about it, but yeah,
2: but it may be there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just like a couple more questions because, because you said earlier that you would say that if you, if musicians were belted, you'd be a black belt rightfully. So you put in the work, good training, but When you get to a certain point, learning and progress kind of, you can, you can go learn from other people and you can do this and do that, but they're kind of in your own hands. Like you're not going to get better unless you keep this curiosity and this hunger and you keep setting goals for yourself to attain, you know?
1: Yeah. And that comes from, that comes from making sure you keep practicing. Like that's the toughest part is, um, Making sure you just put in the hours. Because so is that your plan? Yeah. My plan is to start practicing tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but you said put in the hours because... Well, because the more you practice, the um, the more your curiosity will... Your obsession will grow. Because hmm. cause that's... Because you don't get the passion from well especially at my point right since I've been playing so much but you don't get the passion from it right at the start yeah like you get it from making sure you do it and then you do it and then you do it over and over again and you see different things out of it and then that's why teaching really helps because you 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 really see a different perspective and Mm. uh, I wish I could teach a little bit more but um, maybe one day yeah, that's where that's where the the curiosity comes in more and more, for sure. A lot of people say
2: to chase the curiosity, but you might say to chase the consistency, chase the practice, and the curiosity will come as a result of that.
1: Yeah, you have to go through the practice first, and I yeah. think that's a uh, it's a quote from like Pascal or something like that talking he was talking about religion or so, um, I think he was talking about religion Is he was saying you have to go through the practices first and then you understand why people believe in that religion specifically he was talking about Christianity but um, but and that makes sense to me you know you're not gonna you're not gonna just fall in love with whatever religion you shouldn't or you shouldn't right. fall in love with some craft out of nowhere that thing that's probably fake love you know because you don't know anything about it, right. you know you have to really delve in and get and understand the nuances of it, and it's infatuation, yeah, maybe, yeah.
2: I think, I think that's also what sets black belts apart too. Is that a lot of people are infatuated? This city is saturated with infatuated mm-hmm. artists, mm-hmm. you know, and and the black belts are out there just silently practicing and yeah putting the hour did you just
1: in. come up with that yeah that's awesome that's good
2: yeah man okay um, so let me ask you one more question of like one more question that i had for you mm-hmm. and then there might be a couple other things we can talk about but in many ways you're you're just doing it already and i'm not going to say you've arrived because what is arriving mean for anyone you're maybe you're we're in a constant state of arrival um, chasing the practice, but when you can no longer practice, when your body's actually no longer capable of practicing, your fingers can't move anymore, and you're some old, sharp, you know, yeah. wizened violin, former violin uh-huh. champion, champion, yeah, champ, champ. If you play guitar too, you could be the champ, champ. Yeah. What What are you doing
1: when you can no longer do violin? Um. You mean, I mean, can I phrase it a different like, like if I just like injure my finger or something and I can't play violin anymore? No, let's say you're, you, you're, I have you're to be blessed, super you're old? You're fortunate enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah,
2: you've you've run your course. The machine has.
1: What am I doing at that yeah. point?
2: What are you doing with your time and your yeah? What?
1: Um. Well, I'm probably gonna like. I would probably. I mean, I like to do that, this now, but I read a lot and mm. sp- of whatever. I like. I like to. I like to learn about a lot of different things. I like science, history. Um, I love nature. I would like try to be outside as much as I can. Um, Yeah, well, I'm kind of, you know, like I know we both listen to Joe Rogan a lot and uh, he's so smart with a lot of different subjects. And so I would like to also open up my mind to a lot of different things Yeah, for sure.
2: yeah, okay. Well, my friend, is there anything that you're doing now that our listeners could come to or see you in or hear you somewhere? Yes,
1: yes. I have a concert in Lake Tahoe next week. So if you guys want to come to Lake Tahoe with me, for sure.
2: (laughs) Uh, Can I have a per diem?
1: (laughs) Um, I'll bring a camera. I can share you some of my per diem, for sure.
2: Well, I don't need to do that. You're already underpaid. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, but what about in like after lake tahoe Uh where could i go like if if there's nowhere that i could travel to see you like if i live in japan well as
1: you as you if you live in japan yeah um i don't know i'm not going there anytime soon but uh you know as you know you can catch me playing every sundays at central presbyterian church i like to play a little solo prelude or postlude um I play with a small ballet company called New Chamber Ballet, and we perform every couple of months. Our next one, I think, is in April or June, and that's really cool. That's um, a dance company, and it's only two musicians, me and a pianist. So I get a lot of featured time in that. Cool. That you can check me out in. Um, I play with a new music group called Argento Chamber Ensemble, and we play a lot in New York so and we're also going to new orleans in a couple months um yeah yeah awesome
2: all right that's great well thanks for coming thank you that was really fun yeah that was really fun and very informative as well Oh, good you've kind of you've encouraged me to take this conversation and the lessons you've learned through practicing and apply that to to the things that I'm doing in my life. Me
1: as well. I gotta I gotta do what I preach.
2: Yeah, man. Oh. Um, also, when I told you that I was interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you told me that you had already started. You, you already yeah, did it.
1: yeah, I already did it, and I, you know, I went to an awesome place, but it was just a little bit too far. Yeah, and I can't be doing that in my life right now because I have to focus on violin. Like, yeah. I can't spend, I can't take away three hours of my day. Or three fingers. Three and a half hours. Yeah. No, that's fine. The coach knew that I played violin, so he was very helpful in like oh. showing me what not to do when you grab a gi. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Never fingers inside the sleeve. Yeah. Thumb oh, inside. Yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah. I got caught with that my first week. Yeah. Anyway, if you ever want to come to a class when you have some off time from violin, that's which right. maybe in another life, we could do that then.
1: That's right. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We got to do that.
2: And if not, let's, uh, I'd love to come watch a fight with you guys. Definitely.
1: Definitely. All right, All right man. We'll
2: keep practicing. Thanks. Um, yeah. I'm going to play our intro song, and it'd be kind of cool if you could play something on top of that.
1: We'll see what I can do. been a rock rising productions podcast thanks for listening